Well, there is a popular survival test. Uh, they give this at military academies. They give it in schools. NASA's done a similar test. But the idea is simple behind the test, and it's simply if you were on a plane that crashed, landed on an island, there's 10 items that you have, and you arrange those items in order of importance. And so if you had to pick the top three from this list, what do you think the top three would be, and what do you think the number one item would be? And the items are a bottle of water, salt tablets, a parachute, a knife, a hat, a mirror, a watch, a compass, first aid kit, and sunglasses. So what do you think the top three items would be, and what do you think number one would be to survive on an island if you didn't know where you were at? And so the number three item they say is most important out of that list of 10, interestingly enough, is the knife because you could use it to cut open plants and get water out of the plants. Number two most important item on the list would be the parachute. You can use the parachute for protection from the elements. If you don't have protection from the wind and the cold and the sun, you're going to get sick. Then you're going to be weak and not be able to survive long. But the interesting part is the number one item on that list is the mirror. And the mirror is the most important because you could use it to signal, and that signal could be seen from miles away reflecting the sun. Beautiful metaphor for the Christian life, that our life is to reflect Christ, reflect God's grace, reflect his life, reflect his word, and we are to be then the light of the world. I wanna share a few things, promises from Jesus, promises we find in Ezra, interesting thing about negative people and probably some things not so well known about islam so keep in mind we are meant to be that person to follow christ reflect his image reflect his light in the world ezra 8:22. ezra says we fasted and petitioned our god he answered our prayers ezra is getting ready to take a four-month journey from babylon to the promised land about 10,000 people with him. They're taking a million and a half dollars worth of offering for the temple that's being rebuilt and getting ready to leave for this journey. And the first thing he does is we fasted and petitioned our God. He answered our prayer. We're gonna talk a few moments about the importance of creating that sacred space. That's what Sunday morning worship is, a place to hear from God, study the word, sing, pray together, and listen for that still small voice to speak into your situation. I listen for his voice to speak into my situation. Some people come on Sunday mornings with burdens. Some people come with questions. Some people come just needing a sense of having a place where there's some peace and quiet. And so Ezra gives us an example. Before the journey begins, they fast and pray for three days. And in that fasting and praying, they are creating a sacred space. What we do on Sunday mornings, what we hope to do in our own lives during the week, whether that's a personal time of prayer, worship, just having a place where we stop and listen and say, God, what do you want to say to me in this circumstance? That sacred space is incredibly important to our lives. Here's an interesting study. This study has been done 40 years, 25 different countries. Incredible study. The study was simply asking the question, are we happier? It's not the same answer for men and women. 40 years, 25 countries. Now men, they found, have not changed much as far as their level of happiness. What they found for women 
is the last 40 years, their happiness has declined over those years. One of the reasons why is what's known as the paradox of choice. We live now in a society, especially in the United States, pretty much anybody can have almost anything at any time. And when you're able to have everything, then nothing really becomes special. It's true that sometimes having less is more. And so people often have so much in their life, nothing has that real deep meaning for them. And that's the paradox of choice. Something that W. Clement Stone said, and he was talking to Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield wrote The Chicken Soup for the Soul, hundred some volumes, sold like a half a billion copies. And W. Clement Stone sharing with Jack Canfield about happiness. And he said, you want to know what you could do to be happy? He said, I want you to write a list. And if you don't like writing lists, you can simply just do this in your thoughts. But he said, make a list of all the people you spend time with on a regular basis. And so Jack Canfield made the list of all the people he spends time with on a regular basis during the week. He said, now go through the list, put a plus sign by the people that are positive and a negative sign by people that are negative as a negative influence in your life. He did that. And then he said, okay, now what? And W. Clement Stone said, now eliminate the people that have a negative sign next to them from your life. You become who you hang around with. Now, probably Jack Canfield's question, what many people would say, and he asked, he said, well, wait a minute. There are people on this list that are in my family. And W. Clement Stone said, I'll tell you what, a few things you can do. First thing is limit the time you spend with them he said, the second is be very purposeful how you'll spend time with them. Because now it's your job to be that light in their life. You need to now reflect that life so that they can then also experience changes by your positive influence. Jack Canfield shared an incredible story doing some counseling with this particular lady and it had been 25 years since the event had happened. And she went to Caltech and worked very hard, graduated number two in her class. And as she was telling Jack Canfield the story, she was number two in her class, graduation day, big ceremony, big celebration. But after the ceremony, she said the rest of the day, her father just kept saying to her, I can't believe you were number two. You should have been number one. And as she told the story 25 years later, she just wept. You see the wounds that people carry around from the negativity, the superficiality, all the different voices pulling from all different directions. That's why it's so critical to have that sacred space where you can hear that still small voice of God. That's what Sunday mornings are for. That's what studying scripture is for. That's what a personal prayer time is for so that you can hear that still small voice because there are so many negatives, so much information, that paradox of choice. People wonder why they're not happy. And again, the challenge is stop and listen. And we'll talk about a few things Jesus had to say about walking in that faith and hearing his voice. Ezra, four months later, we get to Ezra 831. 
They prayed, fasted before the journey. Now the journey's over. They've reached Jerusalem. And Ezra says this, the hand of our God was on us. He protected us from our enemies and bandits along the way. Four-month journey, no protection, no guard. And he said, we prayed, and now we arrived in Jerusalem. The hand of God was on us. I love what Gene Scott said. Gene Scott said it like this, we ought to take God's book and find a promise that fits our need and make it our own. Ezra, tremendous promise. The hand of our God was upon us. Now you can find hundreds of promises in scripture, but like Gene Scott said, find some that apply to your situation and hold on to those in faith and claim those promises, know your rights as a believer in Christ, and know what scripture has to say about your circumstance, and take that scripture and claim it and pray it and believe it, as faith is about seeing things that are not yet as though they are. Get in that sacred space, take those scriptures, take those promises, hold on to those promises. You know, years ago, Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, he, he wrote something very beautiful, and I think his point is very clear. And this is what he said. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers the only antidote to the ills that plague our society. He wrote this years ago. It's been true since the time of Adam. The only answer is Christ. Only answer ever and always has been is Christ. Now, Bill Bright goes on and writes beautifully. He says, for fear, he offers peace. For worry, he offers confidence and assurance. For hurt and rejection, he offers forgiveness and affirmation. For emptiness, he offers life. For worthlessness, he offers dignity, value, and worth. For greed and selfishness, he offers a giving spirit with contentment. For hatred and prejudice, he offers love and acceptance. For bondage to habits, he offers deliverance and freedom. From sickness, he offers healing. For rebellion, he offers submission. For self-sufficiency, he offers his power and wisdom. For death, he offers eternal life. Christ only, always, and forever has been the only answer. There's no answer in religion. There's no answer in other religions and faiths. It is Christ alone. Now, here's something maybe not as familiar What's taking place, and this example is what's been happening in Africa. And this has been going on for years because we studied this as well when I was in seminary, and the statistics have been consistent and the testimony has been consistent. Here's what you may not know taking place in Africa, and I'll just read this quote from Matthew McMahon who says this, every hour in Africa, every hour, 667 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every day, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every year, 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity. That's in Africa alone. Christ, the only answer, the life, the grace, the mercy, the gospel promise, he is that answer. And here's the fascinating thing. There are not missionaries in many of these places. They don't have a Bible in many of these places. And time after time, testimony after testimony, men and women in Islam, testified, God spoke to me, still small voice in a dream, and told me that Christ is the way, the truth, the life. And that's where many, many people are learning about Christ. 
God's speaking to them in their dream. Why? Because His love for us. The hand of God is upon us. Just like Ezra would testify. Ezra, again, 831, the hand of God is on us. That's the promise, whether it's somebody in Africa, whether it's somebody in the United States, whatever the situation is, the hand of God, His grace, His mercy upon us. That's why I love Ambrose, who wrote 1,600 years ago, 300 A.D., he wrote this picture, and it's a beautiful statement. And what he says here is absolutely fascinating. And he says this about his own life, his own faith in Christ. 1,600 years ago, he states this, Jesus, I wish you would let me wash your feet, since it was through walking about in me you soiled them. I wish you would give me the task of wiping the stains from your feet, because it was my behavior that put them there. But where can I get the running water I need to wash your feet? If I have no water, at least I have tears. Let me wash your feet with my tears, wash myself at the same time. That's the beautiful picture. That's the gospel message, the cleansing that comes through Christ alone. And to reconnect to that promise on a regular basis, we need that sacred space where we can stop and listen and worship and pray and reconnect to the promise of who we are in Christ. Holman Hunt in 1800s painted probably one of the most well-known pictures of Christ, certainly one of the most redone pictures of Christ. If you ever see those pictures, those paintings with Jesus and he's knocking on the door, the original one was made by Holman Hunt. There's been many interpretations of that since. You see them on postcards all around, different items have them printed, but he really did make the first painting. And as the well-known devotional goes, True story, he painted the picture of Jesus knocking on the door, and there's no doorknob. And the reason for that, as he would share, is because Jesus knocks, but the door has to be opened from the inside. And so Holman Hunt is the one who started that painting years ago. But after he painted that picture, he painted what's known as the shadow of death. And it's a picture of Jesus at his workbench, and the sun is shining, and he's stretching his arms out like he's just doing a stretch or a yawn and the sun catches him puts a shadow on the wall and the shadow on the wall then looks like he is then on the cross and there beside him is mary with the chest with the gift from the magi and then she is looking at the shadow on the wall and she's looking with great compassion and we know that she knows her son was sent to give his life as a ransom for many, and her heart, her heart would be pierced also. And Holman Hunt said he made that picture, think about this, over a three-year period. He actually moved to Jerusalem to be in the Holy Land for three years to make this painting. And he said, I did it because I was tired of the superficial art of my day. I wanted to show people true beauty tremendous beauty. Give an offering to God, show the gospel in this picture, but do something in spite of the superficial culture. We all, I'm sure, can identify with superficial things that distract us, voices that distract us, negativity that distracts us and takes up our time. That's why it's so important to find that sacred space to listen Believe the promises, pray for those promises, and then be the light in the world where there's a lot of negativity in the world itself. Let's close with something that happened with Jesus. Fascinating picture here. 
This is what happens in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus speaks about two cities. You'll see why here in just a moment. But focus especially on Bethsaida. And Jesus says this in Matthew 11. Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Repent means to change your mind, change your thinking, change your direction. They saw the miracles, but they didn't change their life. They didn't surrender to God. And Jesus says this, Matthew 11, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus says he did the miracles. They didn't believe or repent. He said if Tyre or Sidon, cities that had been judged, if they, if they saw those miracles, they would have repented. He even goes on to say if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen the miracles you saw, they would have repented. It shows you the lack of faith in Bethsaida. It shows you the sin in Bethsaida. They saw the miracles, didn't believe in God. Now, Mark chapter 8, we see what happens here, verse 22 to 23. We're told this, Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida. Now, Matthew 11, he's just said, Bethsaida was a town that saw miracles, did not believe. Mark 8, they arrive at Bethsaida, and we're told this, people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. This next verse is key to faith, key to walking in Christ, key to life. Because what happens next, he's in Bethsaida, sinful city where they did not believe. Here's a blind man in front of him. Mark 8, 23 says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Jesus took him away from Bethsaida. He took him outside the city gates, away from the unbelief, so this man could have faith, and in his faith, trust in Christ, and then be healed. Sometimes we need to step away from Bethsaida and into that sacred space, so we can then have our faith increased and hear from the one who created us in his image. There's a lot of Bethsaida, a lot of unbelief, a lot of superficiality, a lot of negativity all around. That's why we have to then reflect the light of Christ, reflect his image to the world. But don't forget the importance of that sacred space. You know, when Peter walked on the water for a moment, Gene Scott, a fascinating study, Matthew 14, 31, we're told that when Peter then began to sink in the water, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? That word doubt means to duplicate your thinking, to double think, to think twice. Jesus says to Peter, You had the faith, but then you thought again a different thought. Why did you double think? Why did you duplicate your thinking so that your faith was destroyed by your second guessing or thinking twice? Faith is about taking the promise, believing it, and stepping forward in belief and trust that Christ will do as his word promises he will do. We need to step out of Bethsaida into that sacred space to hear from God direction, wisdom, answers, 
and just spend time in the presence of the one who loves us. Jack Canfield shares a great story about a friend of his, and this friend's wife was prone to car accidents and got into a lot of fender benders, and they would often tease her about that. And one day they bought a new car, and so he told his wife, you know, be careful. And sure enough, just uh, within a week of buying the new car, she was in an accident. Nobody was hurt, and when the police arrived, she's crying, and he says, are you hurt? And she said, no. And he said, well, why are you crying? And she said, I got into an accident when I said I wouldn't do it, and it's a new car. And the policeman said, well, that's even better. If it's new, that means you have insurance, so they'll fix it. And she said, you don't understand. I did it again. I said I wouldn't get into an accident. We've only had this car a few days. He said, I'm sorry, man, that you're upset, but I do need to see your license and registration proof of insurance. She reached into the glove box, grabbed the envelope with the license, registration, proof of insurance, pulled the envelope out and opened it. And there was a sticky note from her husband. And it said to my wife, if you have been in a car accident, know that I love you, not the car. We all need the promise of someone who loves us. Christ poured out his life to show his love for us. And he invites us to regularly step into that sacred space away from the unbelief. So we can hear that still small voice speaking into our situation, our circumstance, our life. That love that he poured out for us so that we can then reflect his image and be the light of the world he's called us to be.